Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you live in the Middle Tennessee area, every Wednesday starting February 4th from 12 to 12.45 p.m., we're hosting our next series of lunchtime talks at the Village Chapel. We'll be looking at the scriptures, studying several encounters with Jesus on his way to the cross. Lunch is provided and we encourage you to bring a coworker or friend. You can register at thevillagechapel.com slash events. This week on the podcast, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Pastor Jim. So Mark 13 is another example of where Jesus says some things that are really sobering, but at the same time, shocking, and at the same time, amazing. So listen to Mark 13, 1 through 13. And as he, Jesus, was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. I think the NIV has it. What massive stones, what wonderful buildings. And so just overwhelmed by the you know, the, the architecture, the beauty, the, the white marble stones that uh, the temple would have been made of, and rightly so. Uh, it was quite a magnificent uh, edifice, evidently. Well, here's Jesus' reply, and one of the reasons I say this entire passage is quite shocking and sobering in so many ways. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another, which shall not be torn down. So that's the end of verse two. And verse three picks up, they are now up on the Mount of Olives. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew were questioning him privately. So the walk from the coming out of the temple area down to the Kidron Valley, up the, up the hill, Garden of Gethsemane, up onto the Mount of Olives, Evidently, not much said there after Jesus said not one stone would be left on top of the other. These guys are stunned in silence. Um, we've all been there before when somebody says something that just creates an awkward moment and you just, you don't know what to say. So you don't say anything. Well, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew muster up a little bit of courage and begin to question him privately. Verse 4 says, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Quite natural set of questions there. When is this going to happen and how will we know that this is being fulfilled, what you've predicted here? Um, And Jesus began to say to them, verse 5, See to it that no one misleads you. Evidently, there will be those who will attempt to do that on this particular subject. So Jesus says, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. There were certainly quite a few people came along through human history claiming to be the the Messiah, the deliverer, the one, you know, and uh, and. You know, sometimes that bold confidence is all it takes to attract quite a crowd. Uh, but Jesus says, don't, don't be misled. There'll be many come in my name and saying, I am he and will mislead many. Verse seven, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. I love it that Jesus keeps saying, do not be afraid, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. 
For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And so whether you're talking about geopolitical unrest or whether you're talking about natural disasters, these things are going to happen, Jesus said. And they are merely the beginning of birth pangs. The end of verse 8 says that's really important for us to note. And I'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 9, B, uh, he says, but be on your guard. Um, for uh, they will deliver you up to the courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. Man, that just doesn't sound like, you know, the kind of thing that everybody in the world just wants to sign up for. I mean, think about that. He's giving them quite a list of things that are going to happen to them in the coming days, weeks, months, years. Um, and most of them are difficult things. And yet there's a telos, there's a purpose. Verse 9 reminds us of that at the very last bit of verse 9. Even as, as verse 9 opens up, be on your guard and all these things will happen. And at the end of verse 9, um, this will be a testimony to them. To who? To the ones that are persecuting you, to the ones who have dragged you into court, to the ones who are marginalizing you, making fun of you, demanding you give an answer for your faith. There is an opportunity for witness, even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of suffering and pain and all that goes on in this world as it fights against Jesus, against his gospel and against God's people. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. I love that. Not, and the gospel might first be preached to all the nations. No, the gospel must first be preached to all. How many of the nations? All the nations. I love the word all. It's a powerful three-letter word running, especially throughout our New Testaments. It's just amazing. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. This is the Lord Jesus. This is his intention that his gospel will go forth to all the nations. That's so good. Uh, not just one particular kind of pe person, not just one zip code, not just one nation, not just one color of skin. No, all the nations will hear the gospel preached to them. When they arrest you, it's going to get personal, he says. In verse 11, and when, not if, but when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're not going to be alone when this kind of stuff starts happening to you. And this does indeed happen to his immediate disciples. Um, and it has indeed been happening through the history of the church. And it may uh, at some point be happening to some of you who listen to this podcast or watch this podcast. Um, uh, if it is not happening, it's not happening to me, but if it's not happening to you, give thanks, but make sure you're praying for those to whom it is happening. It's one of the reasons we, uh, every single week, pray for the persecuted church around the world 
uh, informed, really well informed by an organization called Voice of the Martyrs, which I highly recommend you look up their website and uh, stay in touch with what's going on in the world uh, with our brothers and sisters who suffer persecution in our own day and time and pray for them that the Lord, the Holy Spirit will give them utterances for what it is they are to say. Verse 12, it gets even more personal. Brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and um, cause them to be put to death. So they're uh, in the in the most what should be the most intimate safe relationships on the planet between parents and children, children and parents, brothers and sisters, and brothers and sisters. Even that is going to become a dividing line. There are going to be those that so hate the gospel, so hate Jesus and the people of God that that will actually come between them and those members of their family. And this we see, of course, uh, already and have for years, um, uh, some people who become Christians and are disowned by their family uh, because of either the atheism, naturalistic atheism of their, their family, or because another religion uh, leads them to believe that they should uh, excommunicate their own family members if they become Christians or worse then excommunicate them. It does indeed happen. You will be hated by all on account of my name, verse 13 says. Again, this is not the greatest recruitment speech anybody's ever given at all. Um, You will be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be, not who, he doesn't say might be. He says, it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Oh, that's, that's just brilliant. Uh, I love that so much. I'm going to come back to that and, and make a comment about it in a little bit, but I've, I've got so much I want to do here. I'm going to take uh, chapter 13 in the next this episode and two more episodes of the uh, Timeless Truth podcast. There's just so much here. Um, that's why I only read 13 verses today, but I want you to read ahead and marinate on all of it. And I'm going to give you a couple recommendations on some books if you'd like to dig into this all a bit further. A lot, lot of ink has been spilt uh, by people writing you know, and, and uh, coming up with uh, their thoughts and uh, reflections on a passage like this. And the parallels are, if you're curious, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 24 and Luke 21. So all three synoptic gospels talking about um, uh, or giving uh, an account of the Mount Olivet discourse of Jesus. First, notice how selfless Jesus is. In the, in the, just a few hours, he's going to be arrested and, and, and go through these trials and be crucified and, and be buried. He's going to die and be buried. And what is he thinking about? I mean, me, I'm, you know, a couple of days before I go to the dentist, I'm thinking about the dentist trip or, or, you know, if I have to get a, a surgery or something, I'm thinking about that. It's real hard for me to think about others during time like that. Jesus, so selfless, is thinking about others, his disciples, and he's preparing them for the realities that they're going to face. And at the same time, offering at least three promises right here in these first 13 verses. I want to make sure you know about those. So uh, I'm going to put them in the show notes and I'm going to mention them in just a second. So I don't want you to, uh, don't, don't tune me out just yet. Hang with me if you can. Jesus knew they would knew that they would need 
these words of both exhortation and encouragement. And so here he is on his way to the, the Mount of Olives and um, knowing full well what's going to happen coming up. He's timing it. He's pacing it. He's in charge of all of it. And he's thinking about them. That's pretty amazing. Verse 1 starts off with Jesus and his disciples rolling out of Jerusalem near the temple area there. And the one disciple is just exclaiming how massive these stones are. Indeed, they are. I'm going to show you a picture in a minute. I've visited some of the ruins of, of what happened there. Um, and and how how magnificent this building is. And indeed, uh, you go online, you can, you can find models where people um, have taken the time to figure out how what it would look like proportionally and all that sort of thing. And they build all these models of the of the Jewish temple, uh, the first temple, the second temple. And here we have the third, um, which is the one that Herod remodeled and expanded. But Jesus immediately, verse two, he predicts the downfall, the destruction of the temple. It's shocking to the disciples. They couldn't have imagined it. Uh, they didn't want it to be destroyed. They were kind of proud of it, certainly in awe of it. And when Jesus says that, um, once they finally make it after that long silent walk up the Mount of Olives, um, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew ask, hey, uh, when is that going to happen? And uh, how, how will we know that that's around now, that that's getting ready to happen or whatever? Um, so, you know, just a, 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 just let me run real fast. I'll put this in the show notes as well. But the Jewish temple, first Jewish temple was built in 950, I'm using round numbers, 950 BC by Sol- King Solomon. A lot of you will know that already. Um, destroyed in 586 BC under Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Rebuilt under Zerubbabel in 512 BC. Uh, desecrated by the Seleucid king Antiochus uh, Antiochus Epiphanes in 167 BC. So temple has been through a lot. Okay. So that, that that's the second temple and it's desecrated, uh, you know, sacrifice, the sacrifice of all kinds of unclean animals and all that sort of thing. And it's just, it's just smeared and, and, and desecrated in every way. Desecration is a great word. Um, 19 BC, um, after the Roman empires in place and they, they have a guy named uh, Herod the Great, who's the king. He takes on uh, a, a renovation and expansion of the temple. So that makes it like the third iteration of the temple. 19 BC, round, thereabouts. And then here in 30 AD, roughly, uh, Jesus predicts the destruction of that third iteration of the temple. And it's shocking to his disciples. Um, some of the others pick up on it. We, we find that quoted by others. We'll see it quoted in uh, Mark chapter 14, the next chapter, uh, in a little bit. It becomes part of some accusations against Jesus. Um, they're trying to, you know, uh, bring him up on uh, insurrection charges. Um, what's fascinating is that what Jesus says here actually happens in 70 AD. Uh, after Jesus has ascended back to heaven and uh, the Christian church has begun, the gospel has begun to spread around the Mediterranean, uh, there is the, the great Jewish-Roman war. 
And uh, it runs from 66 through 70, 73, I think is when it technically is over. Uh, the final, the last stand of the Jewish people is down at Masada, a place I've visited uh, six times on our trips to Israel. Hope we get to go back one day. Hope things become uh, safe enough and maybe you can come with us. But 70 AD is when they destroyed um, uh, the uh, Roman general Titus comes in with his armies and they literally destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple in 78. Here's a couple photos, uh, or, or not here, but you can, if you have the show notes, you can access a couple photos of the temple stones that were literally not one stone on top of another. The Romans separated all of these stones and pushed them over down into the valley below. You'll be able to see some of those stones. They're huge. They are massive stones. They're very heavy. Makes one wonder, uh, since those are even some of the smaller ones, makes one wonder how they got some of the big foundation stones in place at all. I mean, it's just one of those, um, the, one of those things about Herod the Great as an architect um, that, you know, is astounding to think about an ancient architect and, and a designer who could actually get that to happen with just manual labor. Thousands and thousands of people pushing on a stone, trying to get up a hill and put it in place, that sort of thing. Now, there's also a couple of photos there of uh, TVC staff, um, overlooking the city of Jerusalem, but uh, uh, it really, so such an important city, such an important place to the Jewish people, especially the first century, and even now today is as well. So shocking that Jesus would declare that this would happen, and when it did indeed happen in 70 AD, um, even more shocking. So Jesus preparing his disciples, not only for what would happen to him, and, uh, you know, his body laying in the grave for three days, and he will raise it up again. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he uh, predicting what will happen in 70 AD. Now, what does Jesus specifically tell his followers to do with all of this information um, when these events start and, and these signs start to happen? I think that's interesting, especially in our day and time when we, first thing we would do is, ah, let's go write a book and predict. Let's see if we can crack the code and figure out when it is he's going to return or when it is that this or that sequential um, uh, thing is going to happen, you know, in the, in the uh, end times uh, sequence. So um, here's what Jesus tells his disciples to do. And if you're one of his followers like I am, this is what he wants us to do. Uh, verses 5, 9, 23, 33, and 37. Again, this will be in the show notes. Be on the alert. Be on guard. Take heed. Uh, verse 5, don't be misled. Verse 7, don't be afraid. Oh, man. That's right there. That That one. I, that's you guys know a lot of you know who have followed my Bible teaching before. That's my favorite of the, uh, you know, one of the most often repeated commands in Scripture is "Don't be afraid," and it tells you exactly what the Lord, the God of the Bible, wants for you and wants for me. Doesn't want us to be afraid, no matter what goes on, no matter famines, wars, rumors of wars, people. You know, marginalizing us, ridiculing us, making fun of us, locking us up, even dragging us before the courts, even all of that. Lord Jesus says, don't be afraid. And we got to hear that. We got to hear that over and over and over again. And then <clears throat> I think a couple of other things are implied there. Um, 
verses 9 through 11. Be ready to serve as a witness. And, and I don't just mean you speaking the gospel, although I do mean that, but I also mean that we suffer for the gospel and that our suffering is a part of our testimony. I tell you, some of the people that you, you can probably think of some yourself, but some of the people who have gone through some of the greatest persecution and suffering as Christians. Um, uh, one of the things that's so often said about them, people are in awe of what they have to endure and that they're remaining steadfast in the faith. You can think of some, I'm sure, yourself, either that you know personally or that you've read about. But verse nine makes it really clear, uh, as a testimony to them. That last little phrase there in verse nine is so important. We need to see our lives, even the suffering that we have to endure, as being an opportunity for testimony, for witness, of the gospel and of Jesus and his great love for us. Do you know that his body hanging on the tree was a testimony to the centurion who oversaw his execution? Wow. And that centurion at one point says, surely this must be the son of God. Do you understand? Jesus saw his suffering and his death and the great injustice of it because he was not guilty of insurrection. And so... Well, that's what he's accused of. Um, He goes to the cross, smothered in borrowed sins, mine and yours. He's got our sins on him at the cross. He's on a borrowed cross too, by the way. Whose was that? And belonged to a guy named Barabbas. And uh, at the last minute, Pilate arranged for uh, Jesus to be on that cross instead of Barabbas as the crowds yelled, crucify Jesus, crucify Jesus. Give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas as a free one. And this is just amazing. So Jesus sees suffering. Jesus sees even his death as a testimony to others. And we can do the same thing. It can transform our view of suffering. It can transform our view of of the anxiety we might face coming up to something or, or, or walking away from something we've had to suffer. Um, and then the, the other thing I wanted to say was, I really feel like Jesus also tells us to persevere until the end. That is, persevere through that. Um, see it as a testimony, but also persevere through it. Verses 12 and 13, those who persevere to the end will be saved. And again, that's not that's not a requirement. You 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 know, this isn't something we earn. Would be my point. Um, it's a result of the fact that we're saved people, that the Holy Spirit working within us provides us with utterance for test utterances for testimony when it when that's needed and necessary, and as well for courage and faith, courage to 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 rise each day and face whatever it is we got to face, faith to trust each day um, and to trust our Lord Jesus. All right, there are at least um, several categories, broader categories that we could use to describe some of what Jesus has talked about here in these 13 verses uh, of the events that will mark the beginnings of the unraveling of the world system before Christ returns to set things right. Uh, There will be spiritual deception. We see that in verses 5 and 6. There will be international conflict. We see that in verses 7 through 8. There will be natural disasters. We see that in the last little bit of verse 8. And there will be increasing persecution of Christians. We see that in verses 9 through 13. And indeed, if you jump on the Voice of the Martyrs website and other 
websites that are um, uh, similarly focused. You'll see. You'll. It, it will be a bit of a shock to you if you're in the West to to find that this uh, generation of Christians is probably the most persecuted generation of Christians the world has ever known. Um, but verse eight, I love this, reminds us that this is birth pangs and even more so the beginning of birth pangs. And why does that give me hope? Well, it gives me hope because birth pangs is pointing, they actually point toward a birth. Um, they're painful, but they point toward something good. The beginning of it is Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to be real with you here, guys. This is He's talking to his immediate disciples. And, and did he have in mind what happens in 70 AD? I don't, I don't know. Is the beginning of it? And has it been happening all along since? Yes, in many ways it has been happening all along ever since. Is it happening with greater intensity like birth fangs do as you get closer and closer to the delivery of the baby? Is it happening in greater intensity, greater frequency? Some would say yes, and I would say yes as well. But all of this points to God's new creation, new age, new era coming when the Lord Jesus comes to set the world to rights. Um, Verse 12 does remind us of how fierce hatred can sometimes lead to unnatural um, separation of relationships. And I think we need to know that that happens. Um, And I I think it's I think it was important for these folks, especially, and depending on where you live and the the way your culture is, uh, it may be very, very important to you as well. I happen to live in a place that's relatively free, um, but there are places, and I'm well aware of it, uh, and I pray for the folks that live in those areas that that the gospel would be seen and heard in their lives and that it would be the kind of thing, be so beautiful that it draws others to see Jesus in all his majesty and all his beauty as he would care for them. Uh, These kinds of things, uh, as I say, have been happening, but they will increase. And I've got questions. You've got questions. Well, here's what's important for us to know. History is not a random series of meaningless events, as John Stott says. It is rather a succession of periods and happenings, which are under the sovereign rule of God, who is the God of history. He's in charge of it all. We can trust him. And in spite of the ominous news about these things, uh, of this world uh, uh, coming uh, to an end, like Jesus is talking here, at least, um, Jesus offered three comforting statements I thought were rich in hope, and we read them. Um, first of all, he said that uh, even as he says, do, do not see these, uh, don't you see these great buildings, not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. And if you read the rest of the Gospels, here's what you learn, that in John chapter 2, verse 19, he says, you can, you can tear this building down, I can build it back up in three days. And clearly talking about the uh, analogy between his own life and the temple itself. But he is the ultimate temple. He's the ultimate dwelling place of God come to be you know, with us. He became one of us. Um, and so it's God dwelling among men. And that's a really beautiful thing. And uh, predicting even his own death there in John chapter 2. Uh, verse 9. So he, the one who has the power of life and death, this is the great news, uh, is the one that said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it right back up. And he can do that. He's got, he will have the last word on all of these things. I think that's important for us to note. I think the second word of hope that's here um, is that the little thing I said about the birth pangs, that this is just the beginning of these birth pangs and there is a new life coming. So you got to look through 
that dark passage to what's on the other side and remain hopeful. Have your hope fixed on Jesus because he's the one that can, who, who has the power of life and death. He has the ability to bring that new life about. And thirdly, that while you suffer, there can be a telos, a purpose, a meaning, a reason. While we suffer some of these kinds of events, at whatever frequency, whatever intensity we might in our particular context, we can know that there is a purpose and a reason. God wants to use us as a testimony to bring glory to the name of Jesus. Um, and we who share in the sufferings of Christ will indeed reign with him as well, just like First Timothy 2 tells us. Here's some uh, other Bible books that you can read if you're curious about such things. Um, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, Acts 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Peter 3, and of course the book of Revelation. I always recommend uh, these three books when people are talking about end time stuff and eschatology, all that stuff. The Last Days According to Jesus by R.C. Sproul, Contemporary Options in Eschatology by Millard Erickson, and The Bible in the Future by Anthony Hokema. I highly recommend also you visit the Gospel Coalition website and uh, Bible.org. You can find all kinds of articles about such things if you're curious about more study. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. We'll take... uh, uh, we'll take verses 14 through, how about we go through verse 27, okay? I'll look for you then. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much that you are in charge, that we can count on you and trust you, that we can hope in you. And you've been so good, a great leader to come for us, to rescue us, to ransom, lay your down life, lay down your life a ransom for us, Lord. Hallelujah. We are thankful. Between now and the day when you set all things right, Lord, I pray that you would make your people a great testimony to the glory of your name, uh, to your power, to your grace, your mercy, your kindness toward we sinners. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.